I'm going to share just a, a few pictures of our third day in Israel, and then it sets the context for where I'm going with the message this morning a little bit. Um, this, these are from day three, which happened to be a Sunday, May 1st, and uh, that we were in Israel. And um, I want to uh, point out uh, the references here. Um, there's the Mount of Beatitudes on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that's where we started the day at. Then we went down to St. Peter's Primacy, which um, is, is the location of um, where Jesus fed the disciples breakfast by the sea. Um, and then uh, here's Tabgah. And that is called, um, that's, that's uh, for Seven Springs. Uh, and that's where Jesus fed uh, the 5,000 people with the loaves and the fishes. So right there, and that's all within like a, a mile of each other. Uh, so very, very close reference uh, there. And all of those are maintained by uh, three different Catholic organizations and, and uh, Catholic orders and, and taken care of. The uh, next screen is of the, the Church um, of, of the Beatitudes. Um, Father Brian was exactly right last Sunday night. If there was any holy site anywhere in Israel, the Catholics built a church on it. So it's covered up. <laughs> he, he hit that on the nail. Um, this was built in 1937. I wasn't all that impressed with it. But it is in a very beautiful setting, very wonderful, uh, taken care of. All You see all the greenery and all of that. Um, and then, um, and it's in the midst of some very dry fields while we were there, uh, close to Job's Cave and the Sea of Galilee and all of that. The next uh, picture is of the, they had these all on the walkway as you walk there, all of the Beatitudes. And then the next one is, is a, a bigger shot of that walkway uh, with those uh, Beatitudes marked all the way down the pathway to get to the, the Church of the Beatitudes uh, back there. We spent quite a bit of time that morning uh, just going through the Beatitudes uh, and spending some time uh, praying. And then uh, the next picture is right, I mean, you just walk right on the other side. And we, we walk down to the, the primacy of St. Peter's. And this is what is there. <laughs> it's just that it was that dry. And there, there's three seasons, but you can tell what irrigation does in Israel. Um, and, and this spot right in here didn't have uh, much for irrigation, obviously. Um, and then the next picture is of uh, Tom Tool, who was our leader. And this is what they believe was Job's cave. Um, right down... Uh, on the way between the Mount uh, Mount of Beatitudes and the primacy of St. Peter, uh, we walked past this. And this was a horribly hot day. It was about 103 degrees, uh, the hottest day while we were there. And I was getting jealous of him sitting down there in Joe's cave. <laughs> um, and then the next one is of uh, the entrance to the primacy of St. Peter. You see luscious green again um, and uh, that's where they believe Jesus had breakfast with his disciples after the miraculous catch of fish and uh, over here uh, then we went from there to a restaurant that served uh, Peter's fish which they believe he caught 
tilapia, that's the most common fish in the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so most of the group had tilapia and fries. I chose not to. Um, <laughs> I had chicken strips and fries, which was the other option. So, uh, <laughs> And I was really happy with my choice once I saw everything served. <laughs> so then the next picture and, and uh, the last one is of the church. And again, right over the site um, where Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, and they believe uh, right there is still some of the, the rock, but they just built right around the place. I don't know how they think they know uh, where Jesus exactly stood when he fed the 5,000 and all of that. But anyway, this was built over that. Again, nothing too impressive about that. But the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. You'll find different miracles in different places, but this is the only one where you find this miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And so I want us to read it from Mark's Gospel this morning. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw, the, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. By this time, let's see, I'm, I'm on. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. This last month, I have spent um, a lot of time, a lot of resources, and put on a lot of miles doing what should have been two very, very simple and quick things. One, getting my annual physical and getting my driver's license, my Class B driver's license, renewed. At first, my blood work came back with unusual flags, 
And then I flunked my eye exam when I went to get my uh, driver's test license renewed. And one thing led to another appointment and bills and all kinds of other stuff and other problems. And it just went that way the whole month. And I started on July 1st. (laughs) And finally, Friday, everything kind of took care of itself and it all ends well on Friday. But my blood work um, came back with one word in particular that really puzzled me. Because it was a word that I had never seen used in reference to me, and I would have never suspected that it would ever be used in reference to me, and that word was malnourished. (laughs) It did, however, to some extent explain um, the you know, the degree of depression and fatigue and all of that that I've been battling. And, and so, you know, I'm on a plan now and trying to figure out how to become better nourished and, and take care of the areas where I'm deficient and all of that. Uh, because what has always worked, because I really hadn't changed anything in my life. So what has always worked is no longer working. And then the kind doctor said, well, that's because you're getting old. <laughs> And so I thanked her profusely um, for that. (laughs) But our text deals uh, today with nourishment from a number of different perspectives. Now, the dictionary defines nourishment as the food or other substances that you and I need for growth, for health, and to be in good condition. Now, so nourishment can be anything from food to um, eating green leafy vegetables to getting a good night's sleep, good REM sleep, to taking a quiet vacation, to uh, doing a good deed, to spending time in God's word, or, or any number of kinds of things to nourish ourselves so that we are in good condition to live, and to minister. And so the end result of being highly nourished for us as Christians is that we're in the best condition we can be in to serve God and to be used by God in the world in which we live. But sometimes we get a little bit confused about what kind of nourishment we really need. And you see that throughout this text. I want us to look at this text uh, from a little bit different perspective this morning than we normally do. Frederick Buechner, uh, who writes a blog that a lot of people are following, um, and, and one of his blogs, he said this, A glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure of spiritual malnutrition. <laughs> Interesting comment there. The first case of malnutrition that you spot in our text today, we might diagnose at first sight. The disciples did. Jesus did. The disciples have been so busy that they have not even had a chance to eat. Well, you can see that. You can spot that real easy, real quick, and all of that. And so they haven't had a chance to eat. What is the solution? You go get something to eat. That's what we think, but not so quick. Jesus tells his disciples what what they really need is not food. 
Even though they haven't had a chance to eat, what they really need is not food. What they really need is rest. Solitude together with each other in a quiet place. And rest. And so they go and they act on it. They get in a boat and they head to a solitary place where they are expecting to find rest. Their perception is that they need food. Jesus says, no, you need something else worse than food. You need a quiet place. You need rest. And so they get in a boat, they, they follow Jesus' orders, and they, they do what he tells them to do, and they take off. But sometimes our attempts to nourish ourselves crash into the pressing realities of everyday life and the real needs of other people. The people see where Jesus is going. The people all around the Sea of Galilee, and, and because the Sea of Galilee is only eight miles wide, and, you know, you can pretty well see if the fog isn't setting in very much. You can see pretty well what's happening. And so when Jesus gets his disciples in a boat and sends them off, people can kind of see, oh, they're heading over there. And they take off running and they get there ahead of him. And from all the villages and towns and all of that, they come. And when Jesus and the disciples get there, where they were expecting to find quietness, and solitude and rest. There is a crowd of people pressing them that have needs. And Jesus looks on them and he sees the crowd and he sees their lack of nourishment and he has compassion on them. And he says this, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. That's a different kind of malnourishment, isn't it? To be people who live in a world like we live in with no direction, no anchor in their life, no shepherd who puts it all together for them. And you live around people every day of your life who have none of that. They are like sheep without a shepherd because they will not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. They will not allow Jesus to be that shepherd for them. And so they're bouncing off the walls here and there and somewhere else and they have nothing to pull it all together. And Jesus looks at that crowd and he diagnoses their malnutrition and he feels compassion for them because they're aimlessly just going through life to be in good condition they need a shepherd who will teach them. And so Jesus stops and he begins to teach them. And I want you to see that it says he begins to teach them many things. Now I just want to remind you that there were 12 disciples that haven't eaten that now have been told that they really need rest. They really need quiet. They really need to be off by themselves. And they have been told this by Jesus. And they are aware of their own hunger. They know when they last ate. And they were prepared in their heart. I mean, have you ever gotten prepared for something? And then just because you didn't get to do what you were prepared for, it was worse than if you had known you were going to do that? 
They've been preparing. They've been in the boat roaring to get over here to be able to enjoy rest and peace and solitude. And they get over there and they run into a crowd and what does Jesus do? He has compassion on them. And he begins to teach them not just a few things, not just a Sunday school lesson, but many things. Many. I kind of think that the, the disciples are frustrated at this point. <laughs> the hunger and the weariness sets in and it increases. And I kind of think that they probably had a right to be a little bit agitated and disappointed. <laughs> I mean, it was Jesus who told them they needed to go here for this. And when they get there, they don't get what they want. They don't get what Jesus promised them. And sure enough, the disciples are a little bit agitated. Because now it is late in the day, and so weariness even adds on. As I get older, I discover that about 7 o'clock at night, I'm played out, I'm done. But these are young guys. But nonetheless, they've been through a lot and the end of the day comes and they are weary. And instead of talking to Jesus about how tired they are and how much they need food and how much they need to go and find rest, they decide that would be useless talking to Jesus about that. And so they suggest to Jesus that what the crowd really needs is not another spiritual teaching because they're real malnutrition. They're malnourishment is not a lack of his teaching, but is rather a lack of food. And so they are suggesting casually to Jesus that he has misdiagnosed the crowd. <laughs> they really don't need any more of his teaching. They really need physical food, Jesus. And if you would just send them away, they would go and find food, and we would finally have rest. I don't know where the food would come from, but they were going to have rest and quiet and solitude and all of that. They were really thinking about their very own real unmet needs. Frederick Buchner again writes, People do not live by bread alone, but they also do not live long without it. To eat is to acknowledge our dependence both on food and on each other, and, you know, I just think that's a, that's a classic, classic quote because every time we eat, we recognize, you know, that we can't do this by ourselves. We need farmers and we need ranchers and we need fishermen if we're eating fish and we need other people to help us so that we can, we can eat and we depend on God as the provider of everything that we eat. And, and that's how come it's so important that we stop and say grace when we eat because we ought to acknowledge that we don't provide everything for ourselves, that God is the one who provides for us, and that other people have, have labored hard so that we can enjoy the food around us. We don't live long without eating. And so Jesus stops, and he it's not so much that I think he was real concerned about whether their real need was spiritual nourishment or physical nourishment, but he was there to teach a lesson to his disciples. And Jesus looks at those weary, frazzled disciples 
who are at their wit's end at the end of the day wanting some rest. And he says, you feed the people. (laughs) I mean, do you see the humor in this? (laughs) You feed the people. That is not what they were wanting to hear. Remember, they came and said, send the people away so they can go buy food. And Jesus says, you feed the people. They didn't need an assignment. They didn't need to be told to do anything. They needed solitude. And you know you've been there. There have been times in your life when you've been at the end of your resources and you're exhausted and Jesus does this very thing to you. And when you thought you were completely sapped, he adds one more ridiculous little thing to your life to handle. And those disciples kind of complained a lot like we do. They said, Jesus, that's not even good stewardship. Jesus, do you know how long we would have to work to make enough money to feed all these people? They said, Jesus, six months wages. If we took all of this money and spent it, it would be six months of wages. How do you think that is smart? (laughs) And then they said, and you want us to take that and give it to these people that we want to disappear? We want solitude. We want quiet. We want people to go. And Jesus said, you feed these people. And Jesus helps them step out of the box of small thinking that the only way to feed those people is for them to go and buy bread. And Jesus You know, with Jesus, there is more than one way to skin a cat. (laughs) And a lot of times you and I get into a a mentality that, that says, there's only one way to do something. And a lot of times Jesus will stretch those boundaries for us and pull us out of that small thinking and, and help us think of other ways of doing something. And so, you know, the disciples thought, well, I guess we're going to have to go and Spend all this money, bad stewardship, and buy bread, and then haul it all back here and feed all these people. And Jesus says, no. Have the people sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds on the green grass. Now, notice that it says green grass. That is not the picture I showed you. This is a a different season of the year. It's very lush and it's very green and it's just, you know, they've had rain at that point and all of that. Jesus is telling them to sit down in green grass and specifically to sit down in fifties and hundreds in groups. Now you just stop and think about that. You know, if you ask a crowd to... uh, uh, you know, thousands of people to organize themselves in groups of 50 and 100, how easy would that go? I can't imagine how many days it would take. (laughs) 
you know, Americans really, we really don't follow orders like that. But we're back in the day where Roman centurions and, you know, they organized everything and people knew how to organize themselves and all of that. And they, they sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds, um, but it's the disciples who are organizing this and putting them in groups and having them sit down and getting them seated. These weary, agitated disciples are doing this. And then Jesus takes what they had. They'd gone out and they had looked. Um, they're, they're, they're asking people, do you have any lunch? Well, these people had just seen Jesus leaving in a boat and they just st- took off. They didn't go home and make lunch. They really didn't have anything. So these disciples are going through a crowd of 5,000 people asking people, do you have any lunch? Do you have any lunch? Do you have any lunch? Can you imagine how tiring that was? How exhausting it was to go from one person, you know, like trying to sell vacuums or something or other, to people who already have vacuums. Uh, Just going from one place to another and not finding anyone with any lunch. They're tired and weary and hungry and they keep asking, do you have any lunch? Do you have any lunch? They finally find one boy that has a lunch that his mother packed for the day. Five barley loaves and two small fish. The barley loaves were about the size of a sandwich bun, um, is what they would have been. And Jesus takes those five barley loaves and the two small fish and he breaks it and he blesses it. And then he takes those tired and weary disciples who had been out organizing the people and finding food and all of that, and he sends those disciples out with all the food that he had just multiplied. Among 5,000 men, plus all the women and all the children, and so now they're out distributing, giving food out. I want to suggest to you that those disciples really were exhausted at the end of their day. When you just start putting all the pieces together here, uh, that was that was pretty crazy. Now, that's not the end of the story, though. Because there comes the after-the-event cleanup. That's when everyone is spent and everyone is tired and there is no glamour at all left in what is, what, what is left to do. And, and there just aren't a lot of people in the world who like to clean up. There are more people who like things cleaned up, but not so many people who like the actual work of clean up. 5,000 men and women and children had been there on that hillside. I've been to some festivals, Hills Alive and different things, and seen the mess <laughs> that gets left afterwards. These people, the crowds, had been nourished physically and spiritually, uh, but they had leftovers on the hill side afterwards. I spent Friday playing host to Cloverton and D- Dixon Colton bands, 
and uh, cooking isn't near as much fun as it used to be for me, and partly because it just it never tastes good to me after I've cooked it um, like it used to. Um, but but anyway, so at the end of the day, I was pretty tired, and cleanup was not high on my list of enthusiastic responsibilities. And I really simply wanted to just gather it all up and put it in the kitchen garbage cans. Uh, that, that would have just been what I wanted to do. But I'm glad since I'm preaching on this text that I did not do what I wanted to do. And I actually found some people that wanted some of the perishable food and delivered it to them and brought some other home for us and then found places for all the non-perishable goods and all of that to be kept until they could be used at another place and time. But I know this idea, I know how tired you can be after the event and then there's all the cleanup to do. And that's where they are at. They are having this, they have this big feed and now the crowds who are now nourished spiritually and physically have left and there's the cleanup of the hillside and Jesus says, who? Worn out, agitated, hungry. <laughs> well, they probably got to eat while they were passing out food. He sends them out to clean up the hillside. And they do that, and there's 12 baskets left over. It seems to me that our text comes to a conclusion without any resolution. The crowds are nourished, but not the disciples. Or are they? Perhaps their nourishment was not ever really a lack of food, or solitude, or rest. Perhaps their real nourishment, their, their malnourishment, was caused by not leaning hard into Jesus when they were exhausted and had used up their store of endurance. Immediately following the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus goes up on a hillside to pray alone, and Jesus sends his weary disciples out on the Sea of Galilee to brave a storm and Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. Can you imagine that? After everything else they've been through, Jesus sends them out into a storm on a boat. <laughs> and that's when Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And they say, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's an old gospel hymn. We're going to sing. You can join me if you know it. But it's great. Got great words. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials his multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. 
For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. That event, the feeding of the 5,000, walking, seeing Jesus walk on the sea, made such an impact on those disciples when they were weary and malnourished that it ended up being told in all four Gospels. And I want to say to you today that whatever it is that keeps you from being in good condition, whatever it is that keeps you from health, Jesus cares about. He wants us to take good care of ourselves. And sometimes you and I make choices and we don't take good care of ourselves. And sometimes we go um, past our own limits by the choices that we make and we need to fix that. But sometimes God allows us to go through things that push us beyond the limits that we knew we had. And at other times... God is the very one who is pushing us beyond the limits that we are comfortable with. So I want to ask you this morning, are you malnourished? And is there some action that God wants you to take? Is Jesus the one who is actually pushing the limits of your endurance and your resources? And I want to end on a high note of saying this. If Jesus is pushing the limits of your endurance, you are in good hands. (laughs) When he sends you out on the boat and the storm is there, that is where you will see Jesus walking to you on the water. Take your limits to the Lord. I'll leave him in.